I love working in an environment which is it's got creativity at its core and you can literally come into work one day not knowing that you're going to come up with an idea that will change the fortune for a brand. And the next day that crops up in the House of Commons being debated, Weetabix and baked beans being debated because apparently according to the MP that raised the issue, he said it was an issue that was even more divisive for the country than Brexit has been. It was almost unreal but when a campaign has got from that small seed to literally being debated in the House of Commons, you think, okay, we've done something good there for the brand. There are all sorts of barometers for living a successful life. You know, to me, there's other criteria much more important than just business and, and money, although that's a nice one. There's nothing wrong in it, but there's plenty of others too. Welcome to the Success and Ideas podcast. I'm Richard Myron. This is the podcast where I try to get to grips with success and the ideas behind it. I want to understand what it means, most especially to those who've achieved it in differing fields, including business, public life, philanthropy, and elsewhere. And also, how do you become successful? Is it good ideas, great leadership, luck, or a combination of all of these? Joining me on this edition of the programme is Graham Goodkind, the man behind some of the greatest success stories in the British PR industry. Graham's career is synonymous with some very well-known names in public relations. He began his professional career at Lynn Frank's PR, which was satirised famously or infamously in the BBC comedy series Absolutely Fabulous. It was a standout firm, gaining global fame for its creativity and commercial success. And some of that can be attributed to Graham, who joined the company as a trainee account executive, and within just seven years, he became the firm's managing director. Graham then left to work on a highly successful internet venture, selling his stake in the business a year before the dot-com bubble burst. And following that, he returned to his first love of PR founding Frank PR in the year 2000. The agency won a multitude of awards, including being named Agency of the Year on several occasions. We'll be hearing about some of the great campaigns that they ran, including Weetabix and Baked Beans, as well as how the agency got a sportsman to change his name to publicise a culinary condiment. And in some news about Frank PR that's very fresh, just a couple of weeks ago, Graham and a colleague bought the business back, having sold most of it 14 years ago, venturing again to lead the company in its entirety. So, to talk about all that he's achieved, I'm very pleased to welcome Graham Goodkind. Graham, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for that introduction. It was uh, lovely. It almost didn't sound like me for a minute. It's, it's very much you. But what is it about PR that you clearly love so much? Well, I sort of fell into it. I didn't, I didn't really realise. I mean, I think a lot of people that work in PR don't do it deliberately. I think maybe, maybe now, I have to say that, maybe now it's more of a career choice. But at the time, I liked what I liked. I was uh, good at selling. I liked meeting people. But I didn't really know where that took me. I graduated. And literally after my first day at Lim Franks, where I had started off as a as as just someone doing the photocopying and faxing in those days, you know, and I, I fell in love with it from day one, not having known too much about it beforehand. But what is it about 
PR that you love. And I, and I just want to ask here because it's, there's something about the PR industry, which is, and we, I know we're going to come on to this, some of the particular campaigns, which is there's a sort of mischievous wink, I think, which goes on in the, in the PR industry. For me, what I loved was that it's a very creative, certainly in, there's different types of public relations is the first thing to say. And, and, and the bit that I've always specialised or the area I've specialised in is being consumer public relations. So working for brands, products, events, celebrities, and publicising and promoting them. But it was always fun and it always required creativity and good ideas to do that. And I loved, you know, and I love working in an environment, still do now, which is, is got creativity at its core. And you can literally come into work one day, not knowing that you're going to come up with an idea that will change the fortune for a brand. And then you can come up with the idea, you can pitch it to the client, and then he or she loves it. And it can happen. And it can literally happen that day or the next day. Now, you've recently had a lot of press around a brand that you've been promoting. Um, it's about Weetabix and baked beans. Talk me through it and the way in which this, this campaign for breakfast basically reached the House of Commons. Really, we, we saw uh, as part of our work for Weetabix, who we've worked with for, for many, many years. And obviously, Weetabix is a brand where nothing really happens that much i mean it's the same sort of product for essentially ever so you have to create your own news and if you're going to get weetabix in the media or talked about or shared via other platforms such as social media then you've got to create something that's going to do that and we came up with the insight and we saw actually from our research we'd seen that some people have been crushing up weetabix and coating it on chicken as an alternative to a healthier alternative i guess to fried chicken has been right. weetabix coated chicken which i think a couple of people do it got us thinking about different ways that you could eat your Weetabix and different things that you could eat it with. And it turns out when you speak to people that not everyone has their Weetabix with milk or hot milk and, and sugar. There are maybe more unusual food combinations for that. So we kind of explored the idea of food combinations being quite an interesting thing that people talk about. For example, yeah. I always am amazed that my wife loves combining smoked salmon, which I really like, an HP sauce, which I also really like, but I don't really oh, like them together. It doesn't sorry, work that, for that me is, together. That, that is complete sacrilege, but let's move on from that. But the, Well, the point is that it's stuff that we talk about, so it's conversation fodder. So we kind of had that insight that once you talk about people's odd food combinations, there's maybe a nugget there that can get something talked about. So we looked at Weetabix, and we looked at the idea of food combinations, and we put together some unusual food combinations for Weetabix. One of them was Weetabix and baked beans, and we shot some imagery, uh, quite an iconic piece of, of a shot, quite a simple shot. I mean, it was literally a student that shot it on an iPhone, you know, of, of some packet of Weetabix, a bowl of Weetabix with baked beans on it. And we posted it on social media from the official Weetabix account as, as you know, as, as a suggestion for people to try. What we'd also done, which is the clever bit behind the story, is we'd also lined up a couple of other brands also in weird combination and with the approval of these brands so we shared it on our social channel Heinz also shared it on their social channel because they were in on the game if you see what I mean they were in on the story yeah, yeah. Uh, also in on the story were um, Marmite and Innocent Smoothies who would also we'd negotiated and dealt with their social media people to also have an unusual combination with those two things so we sort of kick-started it with Weetabix and Baked Beans and then had a couple of brands up our sleeves that were weighing in on top um, mm -hmm. or getting involved someone called it branta brand banter um, got has now has now got a term which is banter branter so I don't really like the name but it's quite funny so and then all of a sudden other brands started weighing in and it got 
it got completely, I mean, completely viral. I mean, for example, a couple of good ones, the NHS weighed in on their official Twitter account. They quote, that tweet should come with a health warning. That was from the NHS. Uh, Tinder, <laughs> the official Tinder account. And obviously the, all these accounts well, have millions of followers. Things that should never go together. But we exactly. Tinder said, exactly. Tinder said, trust us, this is not a match. Um, <laughs> KFC said, Alexa, how do I delete someone else's tweet? Krispy Kreme uh, tagging KFC said, seeing as all the rules are out the window, fancy a gravy-filled donut. Um, Nando's and Domino's weighed in. The Greater Manchester Police Force weighed in on their official uh, Twitter account. They say, we've been looking into this after a number of complaints today. Due to its serious nature, we've passed this over to our major incident team who deal with serial killers. Get the pun. My favourite was the State of Israel's official Twitter account showing a picture of Weetabix and baked beans. Said, finally something that all Middle Eastern countries can agree on. Just no. Because obviously they could all agree on that it wasn't a combination they go with they want and they put in want to know how you can upgrade your Weetabix hummus was their suggestion I'm not sure about that food combination but it just showed you how far it had spread on social media and it got to parliament hang on a moment well, yeah I mean it parliament. got everywhere but what happens things on social media obviously the idea gets picked up by editorial media uh, and the next day the culmination as you said with the House of Commons is it crops up in the House of Commons are being debated, Weetabix and baked beans being debated, because apparently, according to the MP that raised the issue, um, he said it was an issue that was even more divisive for the country than Brexit has been. That was his, his exact words. They were debating at the chambers of the House of Commons. I was watching it in disbelief. And it, it, the cherry on the icing on the cake was Jacob Rees-Mogg weighing in with his opinions about how much he loved Weetabix. No, he didn't like that combination and, and discussing it with uh, the speaker. It was It was almost unreal. But when a campaign has got from... Those, that small seed to literally being debated in the House of Commons, being part of Hansard, being part of parliamentary history, you think, OK, we've done something good there for the brand. Um, the culmination, just so you know, very importantly, was um, the weekend. So last weekend, Sainsbury's reported that in the week of this campaign, they'd seen sales of uh, Weetabix at their stores increase by 15%. So a massive, massive increase where you wouldn't normally expect any change in sales of Weetabix, particularly not really this time of year. You would seen a massive growth of 15%. So it's obviously from a from a commercial point of view, made a, made a pretty big difference to that brand's success. I mean, joking aside, and it is fantastic and what you achieved, but there is some very very clever psychology that plays into that, I think, whether you do it consciously or not. I mean, I think of, you know, the country's in the midst of a pandemic and people want something to feel lighthearted about and to laugh about, you know, and to sit there, I can only imagine to sit there and go, okay, I mean, a funny way, well, what do we get? How can we talk about breakfast cereal in the midst of such serious times? Well, exactly. Maybe this is the time to which to talk about breakfast cereal. I don't know, but, but there's something clearly extremely clever about this, isn't there? I think you're right. I mean, I think I think the the thing to say at Frank is that the thing that I've developed over the years is a creative process and a way of thinking at the agency that means that these ideas don't just happen by accident. Don't get me wrong; sometimes they do happen a bit by accident, and that's you know you make your own luck in that respect. But we do have a creative process to come up with ideas with talkability. We do look at different things, so we look at conventions um, in the marketplace or in that category. And we try and you know, discuss what are the embedded biases and conventions which shape the approaches to doing things in that brand space. 
um, and how can we disrupt that? Obviously, food combinations of Weetabix with things other than milk and sugar would be normal conventions in that space. So when we thought about how we could disrupt conventions, disrupting those food combination conventions was was very much part of our thinking. We look at also when we're trying to come up with ideas about how we can get to grips with the spirit and mood of the times. And, and you know, that's core to having an idea with viral potential, you know, getting your timing right, as you said. And you're right, the mood of the nation, pretty low. We needed a bit of uh, light relief. Uh, and this story, obviously, you know, wasn't wasn't that serious, even though it did make it to the House of Commons and was said more serious than Brexit. I wouldn't necessarily have put it on that same pedestal, perhaps. Um, but you know, it was just what we needed to talk about at that time, at a particularly grim time, as it has been for all of us. There's also something else there because you keep saying we, right? Mm-hmm. And I noticed this. You said, you know, we sat down and we thought about these ideas. Mm-hmm. It's the idea that that there's a team here. There's a team of people that clearly that you trust and you, as a team, you work together. How core has that been to the success that you, you've you seen in your career in PR? Oh, it's massive. I mean, you know, it's, it's lovely to work with people that you like and respect. And, and I've always found in, in PR in my whole career, it's just some of the people I've worked that have been inspiring. They have brought out the best in me. I like to think they've brought out, you know, sometimes the best in them. But it is a team game. And, and when you come up with an idea, I love two things about the job which don't necessarily go hand in hand but they're the two things that I love spending most time on is the creative side of it and the commercial side of it and normally they're a bit polar opposites and most people in PR are really good at the creative side but crap at the commercial I, I'm, I think I'm okay at both but I love both and I it's the bit in between I don't like so much so I've always tried to build I say weeks I've always tried to build this creative culture and I've always tried to push people to ideas and create a bit of competitiveness internally for ideas but I know that the best ideas come about when you're bouncing ideas and bouncing thinking around and talking about something and someone will say something that will spark off someone to say something else that will spark off something to say something else. How do you identify those people who are going to be the collaborators with you You know, in your business, in the creative side, in, in whatever? Is there an intuition there or is it a kind of cold empirical process that you, I don't know, you tell me. I think everyone recruits for different reasons and based on different criteria. I personally, and people would probably say this about me, I, I get a bit swayed sometimes by personality. I sort of take someone's, if someone's a certain title or whatever, then I kind of assume they know the technical skills. I don't get that excited about the technical skills. I've always got to say to excited in in in, in the PR uh, world, anyway, in the agency world, about, about characters, personalities, because if I'm paying for an agency to work for me, then I've got to buy the personal people that I'm working with. So that person's always been important in personality. And sometimes I, you know, when I've made mistakes, I've got too distracted on someone's just a brilliant personality and has actually been pretty poor at the technical side of things. That's maybe let me down a few times, but I think it's got me right much more than it's, I've made many more right decisions than wrong decisions. I go for ability and personality, not age. And Frank has tended to be probably employing people at the younger end of the spectrum and I've kind of always thought if you're good enough you're old enough whereas a lot of people in our industry you know okay someone's got to get promoted every year strict it's rigid and it's all that sort of stuff someone for me if someone's been good then fast track them grow them and and you throw as much at them without letting them sink of course but you know and they'll let them swing and swim as quickly as possible 
I know that you are a, can I call you a fanatical golfer? A very enthusiastic golfer? I would say very enthusiastic, yes. All right, all right. My wife might say fanatical, but I'd say very enthusiastic, yeah. Because when we talked earlier, you talked about the importance of sports psychology. And mm-hmm. I can only apply the, the the same analogy. I apply a lot of my work life. I apply it to running about one foot in front of the other, getting towards the the uh, the finishing line, and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. But how do you see the importance of sports and how it's it's adaptable? And taking those examples for of successful sports people and how they can be used in in business, or there is an analogy with business. I mean, there's different sports people, and and some of the if you read their reasons for success or things that they say can can definitely be applied straight back to business i you know i always used to talk about the story of uh, tiger woods before he went a bit rogue you know there was a story that he was competing um just up the road from from where i am actually at the grove in uh, in a major golf tournament that they were hosting and um he was playing this hole it was the par five kind of on the third day he hits the ball from it's got about 250 yards to go hits a three wood a couple of feet away and knocks it in for a three so an eagle which is like a pretty good going and he it, that sent him about i don't know about eight ten shots clear of the field it was a massive margin over the rest now i'd have come in from that round eight or ten shots clear best player in the world you know i'd have done a gun straight to the bar had a beer probably had another beer as well maybe then you know had a relax and chat with friends do you know what he did after he'd finished that round he went straight out Again, didn't didn't go in for the beer like anyone else would have. He went straight out and practiced for another hour and a half at the driving range and then spent another half an hour on a putting. This is a guy who had reached perfection, reached the best in the world status, never stopped working. And once he was ahead and the best, he worked even harder to make sure he got there. And that to me was such a powerful thing. And, you know, I kind of, you know, I've done that with Frank, I think. I mean, I've built an agency which is definitely the best or one of the best in the business and trying to do that and keep it up there over a 20 year period requires a bit of that tiger woods type mentality i'm not saying we've got there or done it and certainly we haven't we've maybe haven't always hit the heights and and maintained that level of being number one but we've definitely or certainly i've tried to apply that psychology to drive myself to make us try to emulate that what is it therefore that motivates you? Is it, and I referred in the introduction there to some of the accolades that you've got for Frank, or you've had for Frank since you founded the firm. Is it that, or is it, is it you know, the, the satisfaction of a campaign such as we were talking about Weetabix and Baked Beans? What keeps you going? What, what's the thirst that, that makes you want to carry on with this? I just love it. it. As I said, it doesn't feel like work. And when something doesn't really feel like work and it feels like a hobby or fun, it's a lot easier for you to do that. When we do a good campaign as a business, I guess that's great motivation. I love that. I love the the Weetabix stuff over the last couple of weeks. I think that's helped me even more with, with that mojo factor. And I certainly it's helped with the interest. I love when we do great work. I love when commercially the business is successful. I love when I've done the deals, you know, and I love the commercial side. So I love looking at our P&L, a profit and loss account every month and and benchmarking myself to see how we're doing in that respect because that's another measure of, of how well I guess I'm doing as the guy that's leading the business. The question then becomes, I suppose, is what comes next? When you have these incredible successes and you build the company, but then within that you have these staggeringly successful campaigns and, and we mentioned Weetabix and Baked Beans, but there have been others, HP Source and so on and so on. How would you keep topping that? Or can you do at some point just sort of, exit stage left and say 
I'm off now, you know. I'm actually, I remember when I sold the business, and this was back in 2007, and I remember this kind of sums it up, and people were a bit surprised, but this kind of sums up what, what I've always been like in business is, is just done a deal to sell the business. We were in the lawyer's office in the city, and I'd signed it all, you know, and the lawyers, like, they got there, they got two beautiful bottles of champagne to crack open, and I said, what, what, no, I've got a pitch tomorrow i go go back in the office you know i said no thanks very much but you know done a brilliant job and we'll go out for lunch sometime and a couple of months later we all went out with the lawyers and you know and sort of did a lunch and, and sort of celebrated with them but they wanted to celebrate i had no to me it wasn't worth celebrating i had a pitch the next day i had to get on with that and i've been very much like that we'll come up with a great idea weetabix we'll have a moment where we'll say, i was in that great and i'll say okay what's the next idea it's very short-lived and i i think in pr Certainly in the industry, it's a brilliant industry because there are lots of highs, but there's probably some lows as well. And and the high you get on the highs, I've always felt the lower you'll get on the lows. So I've always tried to keep quite an even keel and celebrate very short-lived, but get on with the next thing. And again, there's sports psychology that applies there. I always remember a few years ago when Man City won the league in that famous Aguero moment when he scored the goal in the last minute to win the league against Queen's Park Rangers, I think it was. And they interviewed Vincent Company afterwards, who was their captain and their leader. And I, I just remember him saying, look, I'm enjoying it at the moment. He goes, but once I get back in the dressing room, it's all about next season now. And I'm thinking, what? You've just won the league and, and it's what an amazing moment. Go out. So, But no, you know, he kind of accepted that short period of high but then then the real work started the next morning when uh they're preparing for next season and i love that attitude so i mean yes because we've talked about the successes and we all know that business is not always easy it's not always straightforward and how do you deal with the more challenging times even the times where maybe you've worked in 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 businesses here which haven't been that close to your heart in 1998 i set up a dot-com business uh, after i left lim frank's the internet was just getting big and I had an idea, a personalized email effectively. And we came up with the idea for a free web-based email service. It was a bit like Hotmail, but a lot more fun. We called it originally Funmail, then we called it another.com. But I, I got involved with it, A, because I loved the idea, but B, because I thought this is the .com. This is going to be massive and you know I'm going to make a lot of money out of this. And I was dead miserable doing it because it was the wrong reason to get involved in a business i thought so you know and, and i didn't enjoy it i didn't enjoy the people necessarily in it because they were all in it for the money um and this almost this um you know sort of like gold rush type mentality it attracted the sort of people that were that were short-termers that weren't looking to build up value in a business weren't really looking at people's careers just looking how they could get in and out and make as much money and i was quite miserable in it and i you know i felt quite stressed and i just really really wasn't enjoying it which is why ultimately i sold my stake as it happens i sold it for for a decent amount of money and then not long afterwards the market went to uh went to pot and it was the dot-com boom and bust and and i luckily i got out just before the bust period Finally, how do you define success? I mean, we've talked about professional success, but professional success is only one really part of, of success, I guess, in life. I mean, how much, how much stock do you put in that? And when you hear the word success, what does that actually mean to you? I don't know. You know, I'm trying to be, you know, try and be a good dad, a good husband, a good son. If I've achieved those, that's probably, I'm more happy with that success than I am what's in 
the bank account or, or what I've done from a, a business career. All I know is from a personal point of view, I, I've had fun and I enjoy it and uh, I still enjoy it. And that to me is where success is. Graham, it's fantastic to hear. It's really heartwarming, actually, because um, I think, you know, even in when I, in saying the Success and Ideas podcast, the first thing that sometimes people think about is, oh, it must be about financial success. But of course, I think that's a bit misguided because success, success in financial success doesn't necessarily bring happiness or personal satisfaction. No, sometimes the opposite. Um, I mean, that's the problem with it. I mean, it's not, there, there are all sorts of barometers. You know, another one, I guess, is how easily you can sleep at night um, and uh, how your personal health is. You know, those are good barometers for living a successful life. Everyone can, I guess, interpret it slightly differently. But, you know, to me, there's other criteria much more important than than just business and, and money. Although that's a nice one. There's nothing wrong in it, but there, there's plenty of others too. Graeme, absolute pleasure to talk to you. And congratulations on um, Weetabix, and I can't wait for the next one. <laughs> good. That was good fun. Thank you. So that was really interesting to talk to Graeme Goodkind. And I think one of the things that I found unexpected, and here's a guy who's been in the PR business for decades, and he still is passionate about it. He's passionate about two sides of it, one of which I think is the business of you know building up his company, taking retaking control of it very recently. But also he's still passionate about going out there and doing the campaigns and, and hearing him talk about Weetabix and baked beans and, and the obvious enjoyment he got from seeing the success of that is really telling. Graham is a man who I think success for him and the success in which that has translated is built upon his fundamental passion. Fascinating guy. If you've enjoyed this programme, then please do listen to others in the series. I've spoken to a former BBC political correspondent who was head of comms for Boris Johnson when he was mayor of London, a man described as the Mark Zuckerberg of, of Norway, a woman who has served for many years in leading huge companies, but also for public charities and, and other organisations as a trustee and, and who discovered her passion for that as a young child. And do subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Richard Myron. This has been an Earshot Strategies production. The producers on this edition are Rob Dean and Anouk Mie. All the best. Listener.